Welcome to the Loving Lake Geneva podcast. I'm your host, Karen Stray Rappaport. Each episode, I take an outside the wake look at the area's most interesting people, places, and happenings. It's another beautiful sunny day here in Lake Geneva, and the lake looks stunning, so let's jump right in. Today, we have with us author Pamela Myers. Pam grew up in Lake Geneva in the 50s and 60s and has written and is continuing to write fiction novels set in Lake Geneva. She has loved to write since she was a child, and her magical writing style mixed with her deep ties and the love of Lake Geneva make her novels a pleasure to read. And being the small world that it is, Pam and I also know each other from many years ago when we both worked in the Glenview School District 34 in Illinois. Welcome, Pam. Welcome to you, too. I'm so glad to have you ask me to be on this program. Well, it's a, you're a natural fit, and you are our first podcast interview that it, where I am not sitting next to the guest, and of course, that is because of the current quarantine, so thank you for your cooperation with this um, very unique situation, and I was actually supposed to interview you after your presentation at the Geneva Lakes Museum, but um, that was canceled too. And so you do some presentations in the, in the area, correct? Yes, I do. Um, when I, my first novel set in Lake Geneva came out in 2013, I did a presentation at the Lake Geneva Library for that. And then I've done a couple more since then over the years. And I had my launch party for the book called Safe Refuge was, which is book one in a series of four books at the Geneva Lake Museum. And since then, I did one other one just last summer on the history of the Lake Geneva um, building called the Riviera next to the beach. And I learned a lot about that during writing that first book. And those two books that you just mentioned, I have read and recommend highly. And we will be putting all all the novels that you're naming and, and where to get them. And we'll talk about that. But that will all be on the lovinglakegeneva.com website as well. But um, can you kind of just tell us the, the books that you have written? You've mentioned two of them. And I know one of them is a series. And I believe you're still working on one in that series. That's correct. I'm working on the fourth book in that series, and I have no other plans for that particular series, but I'm already mulling over in my head a contemporary novel involving the descendants of those people from the series. So, you know, it's, that's the way an author works. All of a sudden, you get a spark of an idea, and you think, oh, I can't just stop here. I have to keep going. So, so what have, books are in that series? Okay, the first one is called Safe Refuge, and the let me first say, it's a series called Newport of the West series, which current newbies to the Lake Geneva area may not be aware of, that this whole area became known as the Newport of the West because of all the fancy mansions that went up around the lake right after the Great Chicago Fire. And it kind of emulated um, the Newport, Rhode Island shoreline with all of those mansions and then the wealthy from New York would go up there for, for the summer. And so that became the nickname, but 
over time that's kind of faded away and it's only us old timers that are even aware of it unless you go into the history of the town well it's interesting in safe refuge i mean the way you paint the picture of the chicago fire and people literally running for their lives you know as far away from the city as possible and um you know i did know that about like geneva but the way that you paint this picture in the novel, it just, oh my gosh, I felt like I was there in the panic. And, you know, it's really um, your your style of writing just, it makes me feel like I'm I'm living this story in this time period. Well, that is so awesome to hear. That's music to a writer's ears because you labor over it. I did a lot of research before I wrote that scene. And I found actually by going online, Praise the Lord for online resources. I don't know how authors wrote before they had to go to books and bury themselves in libraries and things like that. But I found an article written in first person by the daughter of one of the families that was displaced after the fire and came up to Lake Geneva. And she described how it was for them leaving their home in Chicago and going up into the northern what would now be considered probably around lake forest in that area and i was just overwhelmed so i borrowed little tidbits from there but it gave me a real strong sense of what the people went through of which i have no i had no idea before <laughs> Right, right and and so then safe refuge is the first book and then is shelter bay the next one in that series Yes, what happens is I decided, uh, as I told you in a further conversation you and I had before, that I became very convicted. I grew up in Lake Geneva, and I took for granted all those beautiful homes around the lake and everything. And every time somebody came to town from out of town, we would take them on the mail boat around the lake. And so I knew the spiel about each home and all of that. But I realized in this day and age, some decades later, that newbies are coming to the area. They have no clue about the background of Lake Geneva or the rich history that is around it. And when I would go to the uh, Lake Geneva area, I only live about an hour or so away, by the way. <laughs> and uh, especially in the summer, I always would have my books out at Author Fest, which is a great big book selling event put on by the Friends of the Library. And I would ask them as they came to my table, do you know how all those homes came to be on the lake? And a lot of people would say no, or I just heard about it or something like that. So I thought I'm going to write a fictional story set in Lake Geneva and then just show how those wealthy people first moved up here. So that was the germ of the idea. And then as it began to develop, I realized that I have a really strong heroine in each of my books. And so every succeeding book happens about 20 years later, and it involves the daughter of the couple in the previous book, if that makes sense. And so Shelter Bay is the second book, and that takes place in 1893. And it has a... Um, Part It doesn't just stay in Lake Geneva. It involves uh, a man that has, has a lot of personal struggles, and he ends up serving with the Coast Guard 
search and rescue unit up in northern Michigan. And so he gets out, I get involved with dangers on the lake, the big Lake Michigan. And then it's the same year as the uh, Chicago Exposition, uh, the World's Fair of 1893. And I had learned a lot about that in doing my research. And I do have one day that the couple in the story take the train into Lake Gen from Lake Geneva to Chicago and go to the fair. And it also was a year that the epidemic of smallpox took over, especially in Chicago, uh, because of all the people coming in from all over the world to go to the fair and they brought that disease with them. And was that the state fair or the county well, fair? It was the world it was the world's fair. Oh, the world's okay, right. Yeah. I have I have to keep remembering what time period we're talking about. Right. 1893 was when it was called the Columbian Exposition, but every couple of years they have a World's Fair. I think they still do. It's not ballyhooed as much today as it was back then. And all of that makes sense to me now because of what we're going through now with COVID. And back then, you know, they didn't have that, but they didn't have the things we have today. And so I do have somebody, I'm not going to say who, but someone in the book does come down with smallpox. And so I learned a lot about that. And, so, and then the next book that is book three is coming out in about a month, in May 5th, it's supposed to release. And that is called Tranquility Point. And that's about 20 years later, and it's during World War I. And that involves the daughter of the couple in the previous book. And it's mostly set in the United States, but there are some pieces in there where the hero is overseas and serving as a bomber pilot. So I learned a lot about that. <laughs> and, I, and that's where I'm stopping right now because the next one will be, um, coming out, I believe, in about a year. I'm working on it now. And that is 20 or so years later during World War II. And that's where I thought it would be a good time to end because then we get into more of my lifetime and I'm not ready to write about that particular time when I was a kid. So, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so speaking of when you were a kid, so you lived where in Lake Geneva and how long were you there for? Well. I started out not being born in Wisconsin at all, but in Ohio. And when I was about two, my dad took a job in Lake Geneva with a man named John Cheney. He owned Cheney Instrument Company, and they made thermometers and other little things. And he was in advertising sales for him. And so we had to move up here from Ohio. And John Cheney actually owned what is now called the Maxwell Mansion. And if anyone is familiar with the Lake Geneva area at all, even as a tourist or a resident, they know where that is. It's on Baker Street, Baker and Wells. And so he's- Yeah, it's such a small world, of course, because I said to Pam, well, Melgus Real Estate, where I work, um, actually is selling the 
the Maxwell Mansion. So I showed her a video walkthrough of it and everything. And and of course, we did a big broker's open house there. So I got to see every inch of it. And I mean, to have been there so recently before I read um, your book that was set there was really incredible. Yeah. And, you know, and I know it looks nothing like it did when I was, well, I was so little. I mean, I was a preschooler at the time that we lived there, but we were in what I figured out was the servants' quarters of the home, which if you look straight on at the home in the second floor, the windows to the very far east, the Well Street side, uh, the first three or four windows were our apartment, and they actually broke up this large room into two rooms and made it a one-bedroom apartment and threw in a couple extra little rooms for the kitchen and dining room. And I just, I used to have a lot of fun when I'd bring my friends up from Illinois and I'd drive by there and I'd point at the house and I'd say, that's where I lived when I first moved here. And they Yeah, all, they were probably very impressed. <laughs> and their jaws would drop. And I didn't know your dad was so rich. And then I'd laugh and I'd say no. And then I'd tell them the story. And we lived there until I was about six, or going on six, and I was going into first grade. And I was going to central school, the elementary school that's still there. And so um, we moved closer to the school so I could walk to school. And then we rented for a while. So we had to move every so often. But the last place we lived in was on Elmwood Avenue. And then my dad took a job out of town after I was in my 20s and moved away. So that was the end of having any family there. But I still go back all the time and did. And Till I had a short stint living out in California for a while, but um, I just well, your that. love of the area is is unmistakable. I mean, in in Safe Refuge, you say there's a quote in there that says the lines between classes were practically non-existent in Lake Geneva, and I just I, I find that true to this day. It's one of the things that everybody says they love about the area is that you cannot tell you know, who the multimillionaires are and who the farmers are. Everybody's just together and there's no pretentiousness there. And um, so it was interesting to read that. And then in the introduction of Surprised by Love, you said, no matter the, no matter the season, the time is always right to visit Lake Geneva. <laughs> and that is so true. And just, you know, the way you paint the picture of the area, you can tell that you've lived there and, and how much you still love it. I do. I just feel, and I actually, when I wrote The Surprise by Love, it first came out. Yeah. Could you talk about that one? Yeah. Um, it first came out, it was called Love Finds You in Lake Geneva. And that was my first book with a big publisher. And what happened was that the, that publisher was bought out by another publisher and they closed the line because they had a whole line of books called Love Finds You In and then it would be the name of a real town. So I got my copyright back and I could republish it independently, but I had to change the title, which usually titles aren't copyrighted. But because the Love Finds You In part was, I had to change it. So I changed it to Surprised by Love and got a, a new cover and I didn't really have to tweak it very much. I did make some tweaks in it, but not very many. And when I was asked by the publisher to write the book, she said she wanted one set in Lake Geneva, especially when she found out I was from there. And 
she said, but write a historical. And I thought, I don't write historical, I write contemporary. And then I did some research and learned that the Riviera was uh, opened for, its grand opening was 1933. So I thought, well, that's a good time to write because they have phones, they don't ride, ride in horse and buggy, they drive cars, I can do this. So I started- And this, sorry, Pam, this was written before your series. Yes. Correct? Yeah, okay. Absolutely, yes, yes. This was a standalone book. And so what happened was I started writing it and I had so much fun and I went to the Lake Geneva Library and went through every issue of the newspaper, which at that time was called the Lake Geneva News Tribune, not the regional news. And I read about all the ways the townspeople got involved in all this and how they got together and decided to build this because even then they wanted tourists to come. It was during the Depression and they wanted tourists to come and spend their money in Lake Geneva. Doesn't that sound familiar? (laughs) 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 Nothing changes, right? So that's the whole emphasis. So they had this beautiful building designed and they also enlarged the beach and everything so i have my couple in the story be both both working for the lake geneva news trib they called it the news trib in those days and and it just evolved the whole story just came in together and and then the, as i was telling you yesterday the last scene um I don't, did you finish the book? Here? I did. Okay. You're not ruining the anything. Last scene, it takes place on the grand opening night in May of 1933. And they have the ballroom, which is the one that's on the second floor. And they've had that refurbished into how it used to look. And so they had this fancy little dance and everybody turned out. And I have little cameo appearances by real people that lived back then. Um, like us. You probably the old timers around probably remember Sturge Taggart, who was who passed away a few years ago. Well, one of his ancestors, his great grandfather, I think it was, his name was Sturge Taggart also, and he was the mayor at that time. And that family is connected to the Sturgis family, which is why so many of the men are named Sturgis. <laughs> and so I had, and he was so tickled when I told him that his great grandfather was going to be in my book. And then, of course, he, now he's passed away, but uh, I hope he got to read it before he passed. Yeah, and you also said that um, some of the the homes that you chose the characters to live in were based on actual homes that are still yeah. there today. And I do that in all of them. <laughs> I love that. And, and I mean, you mentioned, you know, one of the main characters lives in the Elgin Club, which obviously everybody from the area knows where that is. Yeah. And then uh, the other main character lived kind of in downtown, right? Closer to the downtown area. On Warren Street at Warren and um, Geneva, I believe it is. Yeah, it was Warren and Geneva Street on the southwest corner. I picked out the house and he's the, the family that my heroine lives, you know, lives with, her own family, of course. And her dad was an attorney in my story, or is. And... I just picked out this house because I thought, well, an attorney would make a little bit more money than a tradesperson would. So that looks like the kind of house they might live in. And so I picked out the house. And then I came to find out that the house I picked out 
is the one that one of the founding fathers of Lake Geneva, James Simmons, who wrote the Annals of Lake Geneva, if any of you are familiar with that. And that was his house. And I just thought, well, that's really interesting. So it's just fun to find out little facts like that. Including, you were telling me that as you're leaving Lake Geneva, going towards Williams Bay, you're going up a hill, and tell me what that used to be called? Well, it still is by the locals. It's called Dummer's Hill. That's D-U-M-M-E-R-S, not D-U-M-B. <laughs> and, and so I called it that, you know, as they were driving up Dummer's Hill. And I had to laugh because the editor from the company that was publishing my story put a note in the sidebar, I can't find this on the map. And I wrote back and said, you won't. It's just the name that the locals gave it because the family called the Dummer family lived at the top of the hill. And so that's why it came to be called Dummer's Hill. And I think a lot of the locals still call it that. I'm not, I don't know because I don't live there 24-7 anymore. So I'm not sure, but I think they do. I kept writing as I was reading, I kept, you know, writing down things just to say, is was this were these actual people? Was this an actual building? And so it's it is really neat. I mean, you do mention um what is now the Stone Manor, but wasn't called that back then, Younglands Estate, I think you referred to it as. Right. And that's what it was called because um the man by the name of Youngland wrote built Stone Manor, and that would be another thing to get into on another time, but somewhere along the way when it started having a lot of turnovers of um, owners, and I, one of the owners that came after him named it Stone Manor, which I thought was quite appropriate given this large stone-like edifice on it, and so that's what it's been known as ever since is Stone Manor. And you, so in Surprised by Love, you're talking about, um, as you said, the Riviera and, you know, how timely, because right now the Riviera is going through an, another remodel, a new roof, and um, they're kind of, you know, revamping the floor plan, new windows, everything. So it was fun to kind of read about what it was before it was the current Riviera. And, and you talk about like there was a water slide there. I mean, what was there before this current structure? Well, before they built the Riv back in the early 1900s and maybe before that, they had this giant water slide that sits right about where the um, east or the west side of the Riviera building is. Because the building that was there before was this ramshackle building that they had, it was like an old dance hall. And that was what people did for entertainment back then. They didn't have TV and the internet and movies. Like, well, they had movies at the movie theater, I suppose. Yeah, I know they did that, but um, they didn't have the things that we do today. And so they would go out dancing and for just a few cents, because of course inflation has increased the prices of everything over the years. But back then, like for 10 or 20 cents, they could go in and dance the night away and jitterbug and do all those dances that they liked to do back then. And so that slide was sitting right there. And in fact, if you go back onto the Geneva Lake Museum Facebook page, if you're on Facebook and scroll way back, they did post a picture of that slide at one time. Just she sometimes... I think Janet, the director, posts these slides of old pictures up there on the 
Facebook and it's so fun. And she'll say, who knows what this is? And of course I answer a lot. <laughs> you have to give other people a chance. Sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> sometimes I learn when I'm wrong. <laughs> but Well, and speaking of like, you said somebody had just posted about, um, you know, why is there all this space around the library and can't this be changed? And, and you kind of schooled that person into the reason why. So if you could share that with the listeners who might not know. Okay. Um, now I mentioned the Sturgis family before they had, you know, where Covenant Harbor Bible camp is now just past the manor. And if you go along the lakeshore, that was at one time the Sturgis estate, that's S-T-U-R-G-E-S. And there's a, there were a family of three brothers, and one of the brothers actually owned that property that is now Covenant Harbor, and they built this beautiful Queen Anne home on the lake. And it's actually the picture on Safe Refuge's cover at the bottom, there's a picture of that home. And... I didn't say what it is in the book or anything like that. I just always thought it was an old postcard. And so that's what they used for the part of that cover. And so uh, anyway, after his wife died, Mary became very much involved in the town as she always was. And when she passed, she had left in her will that this little house that sat on Main Street that was a frame house would be used as a public library in town because they did not have one at that time. And then all the land to the west of that would be designated as not to be built on, but to be kept as a park to help people that lived in town but could not afford the um, expense of buying a home on the lake where they could look out their living room window and see the lake they could at least go to the park and have a perfect view of the water and the lake. And that's how it's been ever since. And there was a discussion on Facebook and I think it was related to the idea that they want to close off Wrigley drive in front of Popeye's and make that like a walk around thing without cars. And some guy came on and said, well, what's with that library sitting right where it is and all that land to the West of it. Couldn't they put something over there instead? And I, you know, and I got my little hankles up, or I don't think that's the right word, <laughs> but mm -hmm. I just thought this guy needs to be educated on the history of the town. He's proving my point that no newbies don't know what all went into the history. So I nicely explained the whole history of how that came to be, telling him what I just said. And he goes, oh, okay. <laughs> Yeah, never mind. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, there is, I, I mean, you know, there are books and there's the museum and there is so much rich history that I feel like, you know, it just, you could spend years learning it and it's so interesting and you see people walking around the shore path and, um, you know, they're just kind of staring in awe at these estates, but to really know the history of them is, oh, yeah. you know, just takes it to another level. And the mailboat does a great job, you know, the cruise line does a great job of giving them that history if you take the mailboat around. And a lot of those older homes have come down either by fire or wrecking ball over the years. Some people don't appreciate antique homes. <laughs> and so they have, they'll put a picture of what the former home looked like that was on that property. 
And so um, they have television monitors in the boat. And so you can look up at the monitor and see what the historical home was that once sat there, and then they'll give you that history. So that at least is helping, but it, unless you take that boat ride, you don't get that input. And that is the most popular boat ride. And for non-locals who don't understand what the, the mail boat does, literally there is the, the boat comes up to the pier and you have a male jumper who jumps off the front of the boat, runs down the pier, and sometimes that run is longer than others. And sometimes the mailbox is right at the end of the pier and then runs back on to the back of the boat and the boat doesn't stop. So if they are a little bit slow, they're going to end up either stranded on the pier or in the water. And it's kind of fun because they will share clips of the tryouts for male jumpers, you know, each year. Online and find that a clip of it, and it's a lot of fun to watch. But back when I was growing up, only boys could be male jumpers. I think if they allowed girls, I probably would have tried out for it, but I probably would have ended up in the lake. <laughs> I'm not real <laughs> athletic. So. I guess if that's the worst thing that happens, you know, you end up in a little swim in Lake Geneva. But it's funny that you say that about it was only boys because, you know, just reading Surprised by Love, there, you know, the, the issues for women was, was very prominent in your novel about, you know, how hard it is to get a, a leadership role um, places. And in this case, it was at the newspaper. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I actually talked to a man from the paper that has, he died a couple of years ago and boy, now I'm just having a, if you go on my acknowledgements, you can find his name in there. And for some reason now I'm having a brain freeze and I can't remember his name, but he was the editor, Don, Doug Elliott, that's his name. Um, he was the editor at the regional news for a number of years and he was still alive when I was writing this book. And so I called him on the phone. Was that ever a fun conversation? And he kind of filled me in on the climate around newsrooms at that time that women were only supposed to write social things. And so I do have my character, Megan, there actually doing, taking orders for Juan ads and she could write the social things. And back then the regional news at that, well, it was a news trip but then, but also when I was growing up, it would be who had a birthday party and who came to the party. And, you know, during the holidays, Mr. and Mrs. Jones came from Milwaukee to celebrate the holiday with Mr. and Mrs. Smith, you know, and that kind of thing. And so that's what I have her doing, but she aspires to be a news writer. So, and she thinks he's going to steal her job. So, well, he did. She thinks he stole her job actually, but Anyway, you have to get the book. <laughs> right. I was just going to say, people will have to read it to find yeah. out. And so in Safe Refuge, you talk about um, the Irish woods and a school. Can you explain the history of that, you know, what is, and actually where that is today, where people can okay. find that? Um, yeah, especially it's helpful. I think I always have fun when I read a book and I know the area that when I'm reading the book, if the area is set in a place I know. I find it really fun to read. And mm -hmm. so um, I did learn about Irish Woods from a man named Patrick Quinn, who was, all, he was a few years older than me in high school, but he's- And the, who I have interviewed on my podcast. So you can go back if you haven't heard his interview and listen to that as well. Yeah. Anyway, so he's always full of information. And when I was writing this book, he said to me, have you heard of, anything about Irish woods. And I said, where is that? 
So he explained that it was out west of town going out Highway 50 towards Williams Bay. And he gave me a quick reference to the history where the Chicago uh, Railroad down in the Chicago area, I think he said, um, wanted to build a railroad from the state line going north through Lake Geneva. So what they did was they hired a bunch of Irish immigrants because the Irish immigrants were coming over to the United States in droves because that was during their potato famine. So they couldn't get work and potatoes weren't growing. So they came to the United States and many of them ended up in Chicago. And so they all hired on and I guess they brought their families up and lived in temporary homes while they were building these railroad tracks. Well, when they finished laying down the track, the railroad wasn't running yet that far and the railroad company didn't give them a ride home or any way to get home. And at the same time, the property out west of town where I just described was up for laying stakes down, you know, because by that time, and, and this is an area of history which I don't want to get involved in right now, but they there were a lot of Potawatomi Indians around and they were displaced and the government took over the land and now people could come and lay down stakes. And the land was dirt cheap if it wasn't on the lakeshore. So they all went out west and bought these plots of land and started taking down timbers and all of that to make farms. And so they had to have a school for their kids. So they built the school and it's at right now, it's still sitting there at the corner of Highway 50 and where Snake Road comes out at the west end. And so they built this school and the first one was clapboard and then eventually they moved that school over to a farmer's property where he used it as a cow barn <laughs> and then they built this brick one room school and so that was that's brick one room school you can still see at woods school which is sits right there in the corner and of course it's much larger now than it used to be and it's his own little school district and they mostly feed into Badger, I think, but they can feed into other high schools too. And very highly acclaimed school, but I never knew growing up why it was called Woods School until I learned about Irish Woods. And all of a sudden the aha moment clicked in my brain and I went, well, of course. <laughs> so I thought, well, that was really interesting. And then I started thinking about some of the families I know that still are new at that time that lived out there on farms and they had Irish last names. And I thought, well, they're descendants of those immigrant guys that came and built that railroad track. <laughs> so it was all very interesting. I love it when all this clicks and it comes together. I mean, I have driven past that school, you know, thousands of times and never knew <laughs> what you're saying now. So now, you know, when I drive by, I look at it in a whole new different light. And that was what so I was supposed to talk on St. Patrick's Day at the museum, I gathered all my notes that I learned about Irish Woods, and I was going to speak on that at the museum, and of course it got postponed. So I have it all ready to go, but until this whole COVID thing yeah. goes away and things get back to a quote-unquote normal, but in time I will be making that presentation. <laughs> 
And in the meantime, people can sit in the comfort of their own home and read all your novels. So where can they find your novels? Okay. Um, they are, of course, the museum store is closed right now. So you, well, I don't know about the other ones around town, but the museum store has them. Breadloaf, that is where the um, brewery is going in. That used to be right there in that building. And he had to close the Cornerstone Shop on the corner of Maine and Broad. No, they had my books. I don't know the status of their inventory on my books, but they were carrying them. Um, and also, at the and then over on the West End, McCullough's Drugstore had them, but now they've closed for good. And But then Angelus, this wonderful gift shop decor store right down the street on Walworth Avenue from where McCullough's was, has my books on consignment there. And they have been very gracious to me. I've had signings there. I'm supposed to have a launch party there for the third book, which is coming out in May. But of course, until everything settles, that won't happen. <laughs> but yeah. I will be happy to keep it up on my Facebook page and and I'm on Facebook. And some of these places, even if they're closed, um, I have been following them online and, you know, we're all trying to support these small businesses right. during this time. So a lot of them, even though they're closed, you can still purchase and they'll either mail things to you or they will just, you know, meet you out at the curb and um, they've gotten very creative. So, you know, anything in Lake Geneva that you're thinking about, uh, you know, buying or going to these shops, just check, check on their social media on their website and see what they've done during this time to accommodate everyone. And I'm also on Amazon. <laughs> if you're not anywhere near Lake Geneva and you can't accommodate them, you know, to help the small businesses, um, yeah, my, great. My Amazon and, um, and then they're, it's all, they're all available in Kindle version or print. Great. And so I always close by asking this question, and I know you could probably take two hours to answer this, um, but what is your favorite thing about Lake Geneva? If you could really sum it up into one sentence, I know that's very difficult. Oh my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> I have too many, you know, it's like, oh, these are my favorite things. I have, <laughs> um, I would probably say the lake and its beauty because one thing that really struck me through all of this is I was sitting there one time, I don't know if I was in the library looking out at the lake or in the park, but I was looking out at the lake and I was thinking if you could just imagine all those white piers going away and those homes that you could see on the sides on the shore, and the, the view would be exactly the same as it was back when my people first came to see it for themselves back in 1871, because they didn't have the white piers back then and all that, you know. And I, and even before then, when the Indians were there, that was what they saw. And the lake mm -hmm. never changes. It's beautiful. It's crystal clear spring-fed lake and it's just beautiful and that is it never changes so I think that's why I would say even though the surrounding area changes over the years the lake remains the same 
I love that. And it is, it is just beautiful. And like you say, crystal clear, you can see, you know, in the deepest part of the lake, you can see your toes <laughs> through the water. I mean, it's just, it's such a beautiful lake that the water and, you know, just the surroundings as well. Well, I cannot thank you enough. So interesting. I mean, you are, I could talk to you for hours. Um, and I think it will be very interesting for some of the locals who don't know all of this history and for people, all the visitors that come up here who haven't been on all the tours and learned all of this. It's just, you know, fascinating to hear and your books are phenomenal. I recommend them highly, especially right now, you know, just lose yourself in a, in a good novel. I was telling Pam that I just couldn't put it down because I just felt like I was in that you know, era and the way that you write is just, you know, it drew me in and all of a sudden three hours would go by, you know, and I just lost myself in your novel. So I highly recommend them and we'll put the titles and the information up on, on lovinglakegeneva.com. And as always, thanks to the listeners for letting me share my love of Lake Geneva the natural beauty, the crystal clear waters, like we talked about, the sunshine and the sunsets, but most of all, the people. I'm Karen Stray Rappaport. Join me next time as another guest takes their place in the sun. Bye for now. Bye.